This is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together, we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Today we have the chance to hear from someone who has had a huge impact, not just out there in the world, but on my life personally. Dr. Joe Stoll has used his voice to speak for truth in a confused world, but he's done it in an incredibly winsome way. He possesses a brilliant mind, but I, I found that he can connect with and he can encourage anyone. Above all, Joe is a man who embodies the things that he talks about. We're honored to have him on the program today as we talk about ministry in a world that sometimes leaves us feeling marginalized. So here we go. So I'm sitting here with Dr. Joe Stoll. He's the president of Cornerstone University. Joe, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Adam, it's a delight. And good to see you again. Yeah. I've enjoyed our friendship through the years yes. and uh, value your ministry. So it's a great honor, actually, to have this conversation Oh, thanks, brother. You. I appreciate it. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, you will have heard of, of, of Joe and his ministry. You might be familiar with him from Cornerstone University, or maybe you heard him on Moody Radio like mm-hmm. I did <laughs> when I was grow, uh, a teenager in in uh, in Chicago. Been amazingly blessed by your ministry, brother, and we're grateful to have you here. But for listeners who might not be as familiar with your, your story, uh, can you just kind of walk us through, share some of the key moments of your ministry journey and, mm. and what the Lord's done as you've, you've followed him? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, when I look in the rearview mirror and back through the seasons of my life, it's a joy to see God's sovereign movement, you know, amen. following Christ as an adventure. But to look back and see how he has taken you and put you places uh, that you don't really deserve, but where he can <laughs> use you anyway. Uh, so I think my journey really starts as a boy. My dad was a pastor, like you, right? Yep. We're both PKs, dude. Yep, yep. So, and he was, a, he was a man of great character and influence, and I always admired my dad. You know, people would say, and we have the same name, you're Joe Stoll's son. That was a proud moment for me. I never fought against that. Amen. Like, yeah, I'm glad to be. So my dad's character and the kind of ministry kind of kept the door open for God's leading in my life. Like yeah. when I sensed God might be leading me into pastoral ministry, Adam, I never thought, oh, I don't want my dad was, I don't want, it was like, yeah. You it know, wasn't like, something you rebelled against or no, felt like you had to distinguish yourself. Yeah, from, so I think yeah. it was my dad's uh, image and influence in my life that made me hungry maybe even for pastoral ministry. So anyway, so <laughs> I went, awesome. off, went off to Dallas Theological Seminary uh, and uh, training for, and I really didn't know what I would do. I'd be a chaplain in the armed services, teach, or uh, the funny thing is I, I, I went to college and I thought I'd like to go back and be a chaplain at the college where I went to. <laughs> but th- there was... Like that was smoking something really bad there because (laughs) (laughs) see I was like a mess in college. They would have never had me back to be a chaplain. But like we know who you are, Stoll. Exactly. (laughs) And you ain't your dad. You're like the anti-chaplain, right? (laughs) So anyway, so my senior year though, I got a call from my college roommate. We were best friends. We were in each other's weddings, and they were planning a church. And he said, "Joe, we're planning a church. Would you come be our first pastor?" Oh wow! So I remember I flew up there and what was this? in Springfield, Ohio. Okay. Met with a few people in the living room. Yes. And it was that informal. Like, and so they sent me down to the bedroom down in this house and they prayed and they called me back. Hey, yeah, we want you to be a pastor. (laughs) 
So that was the beginning. That was a rough congregational meeting, yeah, right. man. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It's the un- last unanimous vote I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> so anyway, so that was the beginning of my pastoral ministry journey. Oh, wow. And I thought I'd be in the pastorate for the rest of my life. Um, and then just kind of like out of nowhere, this moody thing showed up. And Straight from your first church? No, I actually was in my third church okay. then. We okay, were kind of okay. running from the law. You, know, we kept <laughs> uh, you but, preached uh, through your seven years of sermons and now it's yeah, time for something new. Right, exactly. <laughs> Though in retrospect, I could see that in each one of those three churches, God was preparing me in different ways. Yes. You know, I look back and say, you know, I'm, I was supposed to be a blessing to them. And actually, God used them in my life. Yeah, mold you, shape you. Mold me, shape me for the moody thing, I think, was one of the big places God was going to put me, one of the important places God was going to put me. So anyway, so then the Moody thing, I was 43 and went to serve at Moody for 18 years. And then just, there's a lot of rocks on the Moody wagon. You know, it's just not the college and the seminary, it's the national broadcast ministry, it's the publishing house. We had a video production ministry, we had conference grounds we owned. So, you know, you're spinning a lot of plates. And I think, Adam, I think after 18 years, I'm just going, my leadership gift was yes. like on the floor, like totally out of, my preaching gift, my exhortation gift, why don't you just preach for the rest of your life? Yeah. And I'm going, okay, good, that's what I'll do. And so I told the board, I think it's time for me to move on. And I went to, as a teacher. And did you, just real quick, when you were at Moody, did you over, you, you had to oversee the entire organization, uh-huh, basically. Right, the whole thing. I, I can't even fathom the, uh, No, yeah. ne- neither can I. That would take a big, no, that take yeah. a lot of. Yeah, it was just God's grace, you know. Here 18 I was a years pastor. of that, too. And they had me come into this $100 million conglomerate of ministries thing. Unreal. Uh, but, you know, you look, you see God's grace. Sure. You know, I made yeah. a lot of stupid mistakes and <laughs> and some other things that God blessed. Uh, but A lot in, of things, in, yeah. In the back, you know, seeing what he did, thankful for those years yeah. of using my gifts at Moody. But and, you reach this point of saying, yeah, okay, um, it's time. It's uh, the, the leadership side of me has been drained down to the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, yeah, I think I was just exhausted. And yeah, but the exhortation gift is saying, "Come on, you can yeah. do this." For so anyway, so two and a half years, I was a teaching pastor in a church in Chicago. Sure, and I was doing a lectureship at Biola University. And something woke up inside of me, like, I miss college. I miss students. I miss this. Yes. And three weeks later, Cornerstone calls. You're kidding no, me. No, so you see, you know, right, no coincidence, <laughs> right? And so then we land here in Grand Rapids. Although it was an easy transition, we had three grandkids here at the time. Ah, uh, that helps a little bit. Yeah, so my wife said, we don't pray about these things. We're going to Grand Rapids, right? God has spoken. The yeah. offer is the voice of yeah. God. Yeah. But I love students. And yes. I, I get I get up every morning to be a part of an enterprise that's raising a whole new generation to influence this world mm-hmm. for Christ. And Adam, in this world, that's no small thing. No. So I have a lot of energy for this, a lot of joy in it. Well, and I've got to say, as a pastor too. in the area near near Cornerstone, we have, I think, eight, eight or ten Cornerstone students mm-hmm. uh, in our church. And it's a long drive to get to our church. We right. feel really blessed to have them. We have multiple Cornerstone students mm-hmm. on our staff as interns or mm-hmm. as staff members and so we you, yeah. you're, you're doing a good job well thanks for We're partnering with us and I always think like churches like your peace church and yep. your pa- you know we have staff and students that are enriched because of the local churches here yeah that, that make us a better place it's a beautiful because thing. our people are a better place <laughs> synergy better right place. exactly <laughs> so anyway that's a, that's the brief history of of my journey now part of your part of your um 
part of your story as is also uh, writing. Um, mm-hmm. How has I mean uh, how has writing played a role in your in your ministry? How do you view writing as part of what you do? It's kind of the agony and the ecstasy, right? <laughs> the agony is actually writing it, and at the same time, the the reward is knowing that God has used writing to exponentially expand the Word of God and the work of God through your life and through yeah. your gifts, right? So people who would have never been influenced by what God has done in my life or the gifts that He's given to me, if I was in just preaching ministry, yeah. let's say, are influenced then through books, and then people pass it on to others. And, or you walk into a used bookstore, and there's three of your books on the used bookshelf, <laughs> and you open them up. They've never been cracked. They're still staring. It's, it's a combination of like, <laughs> exactly. really, it's a blessing and yeah. also incredibly humbling, you know? Yeah, right. Absolutely. I always kid my wife. We walk into these major, like Barnes & Nobles or something. Uh-huh. I go back to the Christian books, and I say, they're sold out again. Look, there's not a single <laughs> one of my books here. I've done so, the exact same. Yeah, thing right. that is hilarious <laughs> well you know it's in, in the, the thing about uh, the thing about writing too is you know you when you preach I, preaching on a week-to-week basis i think mm-hmm. uh unless you've done it it's i don't think most people can even grasp what it's like you know just that you, you have this incredible exactly. mountaintop experience typically yeah. on a sunday morning mm-hmm. and you've just you know you wake up on monday and it's you know click mm-hmm. click click Click, yep. you know, the pressure's the growing. The coaster tick up. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're putting in all the time. You're putting in all the effort. And then you preach it. And it's like, mm. you know, maybe maybe some people will watch it online. Maybe some people will hear it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's amazing how much effort you put into something Absolutely. that you do once. And it kind of maximizes the effort then, too. Yeah, but when you get to course, write. Yeah. The real effort is the work of the Spirit. Yeah, in it. Amen. You know, I think I would quit preaching yeah. or writing. If I didn't think it was the Holy Spirit taking it forward, yeah. if it was just my words and me getting up for 35 or 40 minutes in a world where people are watching movies and TV, where everything changes yep. every 10 seconds, yep. you know, we wouldn't stand a chance. But the joy of it is, is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a supernatural it's have power. have an anointing. Yeah, <laughs> a supernatural power that's happening through his word. And, and that helps us remember who we are too. Yeah. We're not as cool as we think we are. You know, we're just vessels that somehow, and we ought to be surprised that God works in our lives. You know, like, what? Like, that God Me? works through it. Yeah. yeah, seriously. Amen. You know, the, and it's a joy then to feel like you've been used by the Lord for something important. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing that he chooses to use us at all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you've been involved in raising up next generations for, for more than 30 years. Um, as president of Moody Bible Institute, as president of Cornerstone University, in all those years you sent out, we've we've just been talking about you sent out. I can't imagine how gratifying in one level and humbling on another to send out so many Christians to influence the world. What would you say are some of the most significant cultural changes that you've seen in in that season of ministry? Right. So, Adam, in our lifetime, yeah, this culture has radically shifted more so than any generation before. Right. For instance, so my grandpa's I'm a third generation pastor, yeah. and even as serving at Cornerstone, I lead pastorally, relationally. Yeah. You know, it's just who That's I who am. You are. It's who I'm wired. Uh, so when my dad and my grandpa would preach, they could get up and call adultery a sin. And some guy walking in the back, some pagan sitting in the back row goes, well, yeah, he's right, but I'm not going to stop sleeping with my secretary. You know, do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? There was yeah. agreement. There was cultural agreement. Sure. It was Common a Judeo, Ju, Judeo-Christian ethic 
prevailed. Mm -hmm. So there was common ground and common beliefs. The culture didn't always subscribe to those common right. beliefs, but they gave assent to them. And then in the 50s and the 60s, with the onslaught of relativism and pluralism, deconstructionism, mm -hmm. where, where all, especially in the academies, the universities, were deconstructing everything in sure. the past, philosophically, historically, literature, uh, then it came to a place where with the relativism that emerged, that there was no true truth, as Francis Schaeffer used to say, and how we love Francis Schaeffer, used to say there is no true truth that everybody gets to own their own truth. Mm -hmm. And so, there's, therefore, there's not right and wrong. It's whatever I see is right and wrong. And the relativism and the pluralism, they can't, everybody has a right to their own true beliefs. By the way, the pluralism, which we think was a part of the cultural shift, if, if there was true pluralism, Christianity would thrive. Yeah. Because people would say they have a right to think that, they have a right to say that. And they're in the public square. We all have our own voices, and Christianity is one of them. Yes. But interesting, in the flip of the culture then, the primary virtue was tolerance, that we need to tolerate everybody. Interestingly enough, the only group that didn't get tolerated was those who followed Christ. And if you think about it, the whole PC movement then came up, and you couldn't violate and I'm for sensitivity. I think there's a certain sensitivity in PC that's very important. Amen. You know, I'm, we need to be sensitive to how women feel or how marginalized groups feel, and, and we can't be careless with them. So I get that, but it got to such an extreme that if you didn't fall into all the PC categories, you were radically marginalized. Well, in so, so many ways, too, it also creates even more... I mean, the stated purpose of this is to create harmony and unity, but it, mm -hmm. in the end, what it does is effectively divide people because it categorizes pigeonholes and creates Absolutely. simply a, a purely identity-based uh, kind of community, which is not helpful. No, absolutely. Yeah. And then so the Christian voice, the reason we wouldn't be tolerated because they saw us as intolerant. Yeah. Because we said, <laughs> this is the truth. These are our beliefs. There mm -hmm. are right and wrong. So that we were the only subculture that could be made fun of in movies and mocked in songs and literature and yep. speeches. Uh, you know, you could just diss Christians all you wanted and you couldn't diss any other subculture group. No, no. So suddenly that has a whole new environment for followers of Christ. So, being in a more hostile environment, a marginalized environment, Adam, you know, back to Francis Schaeffer, yeah. how shall we then live? Yeah. Uh, what do we do? Yeah, and that gave rise to a whole bunch of like, what were we thinking? Like, one of the, what we is okay we just need to elect christian people into the presidency and into office and we can change america the big agenda was let's get america back right yeah we have to get america back to when my grandpa and my dad were reclaim left. power reclaim power exactly so think of the probably millions of christian money that went into political causes yeah. trying to elect the right people <laughs> and you know that may have been somewhat effective, but it's just pressing the pause button because there are term limits, right? Yeah. And even so, you get into power in politics, you don't have all the power. You can't do... So I've always... What was that something... And I seem to remember some kind of saying like, 
power corrupts. Is that yeah, true? Right. Is it true? Yeah, Which exactly. We've seen that happen a few times too, yeah, right? Exactly. But we thought that the answer to the kingdom was political power right. and political influence. Huge, in the rearview mirror, huge mistake. Uh, Compromised us in many ways. Yeah, it did. And we, we spent a lot of money for not a lot of gain, money that could have gone into far more effective kingdom yeah. ministries. And then we got angry yeah. about it and um, grumpy about it. What a great witness in this world, right? People love grumpy yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, the, there's the whining Christians. Oh, we weren't whining because you didn't drink wine back then, right? But <laughs> there's these whining Christians who are angry, and then we got, we'll be cultural warriors. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fight against the culture, mm-hmm. which, you know, somehow we lost the winsomeness of Christ there. Yeah. You know, Christ came into a culture that marginalized him and, but he always had this winsome yep. witness, right? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think it's been hard for us to know how to manage this shift. Well, it's been the, I think we have been facing a challenge incredibly similar to the first century Christians. I mean, you look at the – you can look in the first century when Jesus was ministering and you see that the Jewish community in Israel was facing a lot of the same – you got the Herodians who are mm-hmm. acting just like – the pagan empire, and that's how you do it. And you've right. got the Pharisees who are saying, "Let's hold hold up the law." You got the you've got the zealots who are saying, "Let's let's just uh, go fight, slaughter right? them in the let's streets, go kill right? Them in the streets. Exactly. More blood, more better." What? So you've 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 had to watch this um, unfold, and you've I mean you've been a leader in this. You've been rubbing shoulders with other leaders who are trying to navigate these things. How is it that you have? Um, when you look at where we are now, um, what would you say is the tone of the culture towards, at, if, if we want to use the label evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. Bible-believing Christians? Uh, it's probably not monolithic, I'm guessing. It depends on where you are in the country. That's true. That's but true. where do you see things headed in terms of the, the tone of our culture mm-hmm. towards a group that confesses Christ yeah. as the resident Lord and Savior. Yeah, I think the tone, will, it, it already is, will be increasingly intolerant. Yeah. I think there's several major beachheads in our culture. The LGBTQ movement yeah. is a beachhead. Yes. And has such huge, the whole goal is to normalize, normalize um, LGBTQ behavior. So yeah. it's a normal thing. And Christians come along and say, well, we understand how some people can have same-sex attraction, yeah. but uh, actually living that out and acting yeah. it out according to God's word, and I live under the authority of his word, that's a sin. Yeah. And that's like total, I mean, suddenly now we're bigoted, yeah. and we're proud, and we're mean, and we're not ex- inclusive. That's the other big yeah. word in our culture. We have to all be yeah. inclusive, like everybody's okay. And so I think I think that's a beachhead that is going to continue to marginalize us. And I will say, I think, Adam, we have a lot, thanks to your book on Christian compassion toward the whole issue, um, we have a lot to learn on how to handle this correctly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how to realize that some people are same-sex attracted, Mm -hmm. and it's a struggle. It it seems like a lot of the, um, the issues that we're dealing with now come down to the kind of the fundamental question of what does it mean to really be a human being? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, That's like, so true. like what, what's the, do, are, is there an objective moral compass for us? Is there, uh, you know, it, or is it something where you just live from, this is the way I feel. Mm-hmm. This is my, uh, myself. I, I've heard uh, 
Albert Moeller talk about Soji. I, mm. I hadn't heard that until recently. Sexual orientation, right. gender identity. Mm-hmm. A lot of these issues come down to how do, how do we identify ourselves and, and how do we find freedom? Mm. Um, it seems like for a lot of people, they're saying we identify ourselves by how we feel. And we find freedom by being affirmed by everyone around us. Yeah, that's, that's very insightful. And, and Chris, the Christian message is radically different yes, than that. Correct. We say you, you, you find yourself by finding out who God says you are, mm-hmm. and you find freedom by living in obedience and submission. Right. And the, these, it seems like these incompatible. are... Incompatible. Yeah. These that's can, incompatible with the story in our culture. Our culture's story is like juxtaposition to that yeah hence the hostility and the marginalization it's a zero-sum game there's no there's no meeting in the middle no when it comes to these fundamental issues i I think culturally but there needs to be a meeting in the middle when it comes personally amen so much of it comes down to uh when we is it's really it's so simple but we need to press ourselves into the message of the gospel right i mean because the message of the gospel tells is it's not we're, we're not suddenly surprised when we find out that the uh, some of my deepest desires are in conflict with mm-hmm. God, what God says is the best way to live. Mm-hmm. The gospel yeah, tells me right. that's the way it is, you yeah, know. Exactly. Um, but what the gospel also tells me is that there's something even deeper, mm. and it's the way God made me, mm-hmm. and it's it's so fundamental. It's at the level of an image that's been stamped on me, and and so sometimes, and this is again back to the gospel. Sometimes the w- road to life is going to initially feel like death. Absolutely. Right? Jesus Absolutely. said, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. And so, that's, so there's nobody who down. gets away with that. Nobody who gets away from that calling. Exactly. You know, the, Christ is so upside down. He says all these annoying things. <laughs> like, like, if you're going to live, you have to die. Yes. You know? And if you want to gain, you have to give. Yeah. And, you know, and, but he's not upside down. We're upside down. Yes. That's why it feels that way to us. Yeah. I mean, I said, I'm broken. Yeah. I'm broken and different. We're all, we're all victims of the fall. Yeah. So this is the tension that we live in to try to be biblically accurate and try to still be winsomely open to figuring out how we can reach as many people as possible for Jesus Christ and bring them into the kingdom. I think think one interesting thing that Christ said in the Beatitudes, the last Beatitude is, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. (laughs) That's hard to hear. Like, for my namesake, right? Yes. Not because I'm a jerk. You know, some people are persecuted <laughs> Christians. Rude. Yeah, some Christians are persecuted. It sounds like Twitter. Rightly so. You know, you should be persecuted. But if you're persecuted for Christ and yeah. his namesake yeah. and the authority of his word, he said, you're blessed. So are we courageous enough to say, we'll identify with all those through all the ages who were marginalized mm-hmm. and persecuted for the name of Christ. By the way, just parenthetically, normally the Christian church globally and historically has been out of step with their culture. Yeah. Why do we think we get a hall pass on this? <laughs> do you know what I mean, Adam? We're like, not seriously. the promised land. No, I mean, so we've had this unusual history in yeah. America to have cultural agreement yeah. with our standards. And now it's shifted and we're all ticked about this thing. You know, maybe Welcome to we, the clubs as the rest of the church. Thank you, exactly. Yeah. Like the whole church, and it's been the best days of the church sometimes yeah. when yeah. it's been in this marginalized position. So anyway, so Christ said, blessed are those. And then he goes on to the, you are the light of the world. Mm. And whoever in my Bible, they did a break and wrote one of those subtitles after the Beatitudes. No, 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 take that out of there because it goes right. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So here's strategy from Jesus. 
He says, you are the light of the world, so let people listen to everything you say. No, let people see. That's, that's an interesting shift there, I think. We think that we can keep speaking into our culture and finally they'll get it. They don't want to hear what we have to say, but they're still watching us. Mm-hmm. So it's something about our lives that wins the day. Let them see your good works. And so glorify your Father. And heaven. then they will come and glorify your Father who is in heaven. <laughs> so this is a strategy for us now. It's relational. We have to get down to the level of relationships yeah, and, and connection. And good works there. Now, there's two, two Greek words for good works. One is agathos. That's righteousness. So, And it's not the word that's used in that text. So if I think good works is tithing, going to church, you know, that doesn't really work. You know, if I say to my neighbor, you ought to accept Jesus, then you could tithe. You know? <laughs> He'd say, not interested, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the good works is kalos, which are the works of goodness, to, of compassion. It's living out the goodness of Christ into my culture. Which he prepared in advance for us to do. Exactly. Yeah. And then first Peter, Peter picks it up, yeah. writing to a persecuted church. Yeah. Let your lives be excellent, Yes. In front of the Gentiles who are speaking poorly of you, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So it's something about our behavior yeah. that is the key. So, and I'm all, I just want to know say it's not, grumpiness is not a good work. And being ticked at this culture, being long on mad, short on mercy, yeah. is not the good works that work. And in fact, uh, I think if you have a kingdom vocabulary, despair is not in, in your vocabulary. Mm. Because we have a king who's already won the victory. If Amen. You, Adam, if you can't figure out the book, you haven't written a commentary <laughs> on the book of Revelation yet, have you? Uh, I helped out with one, actually, but no, yeah, I haven't okay. written one. <laughs> All right, so nobody gets Revelation. It's too complicated. Yeah. Revelation means that Jesus wins. Yeah, amen. That's the amen. theme. Of, so ultimately, I am not an American citizen First and foremost, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Christ, Colossians yeah. chapter 1. He has delivered me from the domain of darkness and put me into the kingdom of his dear son. I have a king who ultimately wins. Being angry or grumpy or despairing is not a kingdom instinct. No, no. And he even said to us, in this world you will have trouble, so be grumpy and upset. But no, in this world you have trouble, but be of good cheer. Yeah. Because it's the long run. Ultimately, yeah. I have overcome the world. If you freeze frame Christians in this culture, in this moment, and you don't have an end game in mind, you will be despairing mm. and you will be angry. If you remember that this is a feature-length film, God is the executive <laughs> producer, and in the end, he wins the victory. You don't despair, and you're not mad, and you're not angry. Just asking yourself, okay, how can I do Jesus in this world? Amen. And he said it's your good works. And if you you referenced the earlier church or early on, it was there. They they didn't have, you didn't vote emperors in and out, right? (laughs) They didn't have a vote. They were mostly a peasant church because they had been so marginalized. They'd been disengaged from any cultural advantages. Mm -hmm. So you have this peasant church that can't vote that's persecuted, fed to lions, and in three centuries, they finally won, and the Emperor Constantine makes Christianity, which didn't help Christianity, that became the rule of the Roman Empire. Yeah, yeah. But so what was it about? So historians go back, and they think, how could this peasant church have had such a profound influence? And if you read Stark and Dodd and some of these people, right? So they say it was their good works. For instance, um, 
there was a rule in the Roman Empire called death by exposure. It was kind of like our abortion. If you had a child that was deformed, or in that culture was a girl even, yep. you could take it out to the trash heap at the edge of the village and put it, and they would just die in the heat, and that was legal to do that. Christians would go out, and this is all all legitimized in the literature. Christians would go out and harvest those little babies off those trash heaps, bring them in and raise them in their homes. <laughs> Think of a culture watching that kind of love and action. Think about a woman who put their baby out there and seeing a little kid walking down the street holding the hands of a Christian mom saying, I wonder if that's my kid. I wonder, you know, just think the power of that kind of behavior. Mm. Um, uh, there are two black plague, plagues, in one in the first century, one in the second century. People fled the towns and villages to the mountains where the air was pure and clean. Christians would stay and take at care. risk of their, oh, and ca- take care of the people that were left there. Christians would fast. And we fast for God to do something cool for us, like, I'm going to fast and get this, right? Uh, you know, that's a different topic, but they fasted to collect money, their grocery money, to give to the poor because there was no welfare for the poor. And, and by the way, that got to be such a big thing in the world. A couple of the emperors said, I'm going to start a welfare system and we've got to shut these Christians down because they're winning the population by helping the poor. Oh, and all wow. of their welfare systems always failed, you know. Yeah. It's just a church. Saint, yeah, St. Lawrence in the second century was called into the Roman prelate in that area and he was the the local bishop of the church and he said i want you to bring all the treasuries treasures of the church and the, the saint lawrence said well it's going to take me a few days say okay eight days from now i want you to bring all the treasures of the church he walks in eight days later with widows and orphans disabled people blind people and he said sir these are the treasures of the church for which he was put on a spit and burned over charcoal fire. He's, he's a legend in the history of the church. All of that to say is the early church took Christ's words seriously. We will be a healing, helpful influence in our culture, even though we are the despised minority. So I think it works out like this. I think uh, in your neighborhood, your Christians ought to say, I don't get Christians, but our neighborhood's a better place because they live here. Mm-hmm. And in the office... Your boss ought to say, yeah, I don't get Christians. But our office is a lot better place because Christians work here. And then someday somebody might say, hey, how did you get this way? Where'd you? And I'm going, you, I thought you'd never ask. You don't want my answer? No, 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 really, I do. <laughs> and you might just get the opportunity to say something about Jesus. Mm. It's kind of like being in kindergarten, show and tell. Remember show and tell? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I think Christians have to show up in order to tell because our world doesn't want to hear what we have to say. But that was what Christ told us to do. So I, I have no despair. I mean, I'm heartbroken. I'm grieved with the yeah. damage that this culture is doing to lives. And to themselves. And to them, Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's ultimately Satan wants to destroy all it's... that God has created. And so uh, I'm grieved over that. But I'm not in despair as a Christian. Praise I know Lord. who my king is. I know that he wins. I'm thankful for that, that he brought me into his kingdom. And I'm just going to live out his kingdom by doing good things in my culture so maybe somebody will pay attention. Oh, Joe, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I I don't always do this, um, uh, but I'd I'd love it if you would pray Mm. for us Mm. and and let that close down this uh, episode because there's something... um, God's put in your heart that I think the church mm. needs to hear mm. um, and, and leaders need to hear. We, mm. we live in such an age of 
it's been a grieving season, I think, for a lot in the church as we look and see big names, mm. leaders fall. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things the church is being brought face to face with is it's not going to be our power. It's not going to be our 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 resources. Mm. It's not going to be our uh, our our polish mm-hmm. that's going to save lives and souls. It's going to be exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. And so, I, I could, could you pray for for that message to grip the heart of the I'd church for us. Thank to, you. Dear Lord, we come to you as our victorious king. Thank you for um, helping us to be people of good cheer in the midst of a very troubling world. And we're desperately in near need of your mentorship. Tutor us to know how to live winsomely and courageously, yet unfailingly committed to the authority of your word in our lives. And uh, we pray that as we encourage one another toward that end that you will use our lives in a world that more deeply it goes, the more despairing it becomes and is looking for answers. And I just pray that in our churches and in in our lives as we move through our communities, that people ultimately would see the answer in you through us because of our good works and because of our followership that has been untainted by the culture And so we thank you that light is always different than the darkness and help us not to be afraid to be different in a good and wonderful way. And so we just pray that the power of your gospel will not be damaged or discounted by wrong attitudes and wrong actions in our lives, but it would be enhanced by your work of your Holy Spirit through us. We pray that pastors would lead us and the churches would be a community where we could feel safe with one another. Lord, thank you so much that we now, that in our churches we come in, we sing the same songs to the glory of your name, and we're not marginalized, but we're we're enthused and reinvigorated again through our churches. So we pray that our pastors would lead well and that all of us would walk with you and... Uh, Look forward to the day when you conquer, and all will be well forever. And in the meantime, use us to your glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. It's been a joy. Wow. That conversation only got more and more passionate as we as we went through it. I hope Joe's message about the need to show and not just tell the world about Jesus will connect with you. I want to also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, (laughs) this is Adam Barr reminding you, Make time to share God's life today.